Ambos is an all-encompassing medical student platform written by doctors that combines a comprehensive library with over 8,000 concise articles with a multiple QBank with over 5,000 multiple choice questions in the form of clinical case scenarios. The entire platform is filled with great learning features that will help to enhance your studies. Ambos comes along with two mobile apps and a great Enki add-on that you can download for free. If you have not used Ambos yet, you can sign up for a free five-day trial on ambos.com to study smarter, not harder. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Global Health Chat. Today, you're joined by me and Jess as we deep dive into a really relevant topic, and that is mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic. So there have been many effects of COVID-19 on our health, primarily on our mental health. Due to an immediate pandemic, people will experience high levels of anxiety and stress. However, for some people, this anxiety and stress can continue after the immediate pandemic and so can become a really chronic issue. And so we thought it'd be really important to understand this better so that we as young medical students and young doctors can really help people through what is an ongoing health issue. So Jess, would you like to tell us a bit more about who's at risk? Yeah, thanks Erica. Um, so there are many groups of people that are at risk of increased sort of mental health issues or fear and anxiety um, that's brought about especially due to the pandemic um, so i just want to flag pretty much everyone is susceptible so there's no particular rule or hard and fast rule about which groups are susceptible but for um, there are many specific groups that may be particularly susceptible. Um, and one of these would be those with uh, existing anxiety disorders and, and mental health problems, as these can be exacerbated by uh, lockdowns, um, the pandemic um, and health risks that um, of course occur during these disease outbreaks. And consequently, um, these are at increased risk of further developing um, uh, problems. Another group of people is that of healthcare workers. So this is a broad range of people, including nurses and doctors and any allied staff. And they have particularly been found to have high levels of anxiety during the pandemic. Um, many healthcare workers are overwhelmed by the number of cases, um, the health of themselves and the family, as well as even undersupplies um, of medical supplies. Um, at the start of 2020, we had an undersupply of PVE, and that, that was a very um, big sort of mental health, um, took a, a ma major toll on healthcare workers. Um, so this is a very, very susceptible group. And another group is anyone placed in quarantine or isolation. So something we'll touch on later is that, you know, inevitably we are all social beings. So being placed in isolation is never a pleasant experience. Um, and it can arouse feelings of PTSD, depression, um, confusion and, and uh, loneliness. And of course, the unemployed and those who are casualized in the workforce are at an increased risk of poor mental health. And this is sort of a 
big ongoing, it's a cyclical nature, I would say, because there's a lot of social determinants that go into this, um, as the unemployed and those in the casual workforce have a high level of job insecurity. So this is associated with stress and financial strain, and of course, consequently, poorer health outcomes. And by poor health outcomes, I mean both physically and mentally. So it's really, really important to sort of factor that in. Um, so Erica, do you mind telling us a little bit about the impact of the pandemic on um, social behaviour, so in particular um, the alcohol intake? A survey from last year in August found that 12% of Australians have begun consuming alcohol on a daily basis since the coronavirus pandemic began. And this is a very significant increase. And it has shown that many Australians who did not drink before have picked up alcohol as a way to cope with the increased anxiety and stress that the pandemic has brought. So one in 10 reported that they were consuming over 10 standard drinks per week, which is a significant amount. And we can associate alcohol with many different conditions, uh, such as liver damage, cancer, heart disease, obesity, and diabetes. And all of these have in themselves their own psychological health effects as well. So it is very obvious that alcohol is a big determinant of health and the responsible use of alcohol only can really happen when we don't have um, other factors in our life which draw us to alcohol um, as a way of trying to cope with this in as a an unhealthy coping mechanism. Uh, another issue that is really important uh, specifically uh, to Australians and needs to be really brought up more is domestic violence. Could you tell us a bit about that, Jess? Yeah, thanks, Erica. Um, so yeah, domestic violence is a problem, you know, day in, day out, but especially during the pandemic where you've got um, health orders that mandate that we stay at home in our lockdowns, um, it becomes a problem that's very, very um, relevant. So with the current situation, about 11 million Australians right now are in the lockdown, which is, you know, very substantial. So the first national survey of domestic and family violence agencies um, and their clients, which is a very recent um, survey that was released, shows that there's a, a shadow pandemic of violence that's occurring during these COVID-19 lockdowns. Um, so researchers from the Queensland University of Technology Centre for Justice surveyed 362 domestic family violence agencies and individuals across the country about their experiences um, from early June until the end of August last year. And it showed that most services saw a surge in demand for their services and nearly half said their clients uh, reported an increase in controlling behaviours. So it showed that pe people who are um, perpetrators of domestic violence are using these lockdowns and the fact that their other family members or loved ones, um, the fact that they have to be locked down, um, they're sort of exploiting this. Um, and 87% of domestic family violence providers reported that clients experienced increased isolation with 64% not able to seek outside help. Um, so it shows, you know, being forced to cohabitate during this lockdown has a really, really significant um, toll on domestic violence rates. And it's, um, it's really a shame because 
these perpetrators of domestic violence are using the pandemic as um, uh, sort of a weapon. And they're saying, you know, if you go outside, you have an increase of risk of contracting the virus and it's, you know, supposedly illegal. But um, what we want to say is that if you are experiencing domestic violence, this is a very valid reason to leave the house. Um, and this is definitely, you know, not illegal at all. The government has uh, made it very clear that anyone who's at increased risk of harm can definitely leave their house. So we just wanna make that um, very, very clear. Um, so Erica, do you mind telling us a little bit about why social connection is really important, especially during times like this? Of course. So with the physical distancing regulations that have been introduced and have waxed and waned with their severity over the pandemic, it is very apparent that there have been psychological consequences from this. Uh, notably, the fact that, you know, the connection that people have with each other is often based on physical touch and having that really um, intimate connection being to hug, being able to hold hands and things like that. And it's even more important, I believe, in, in young people and children and their parents. And if they live in separate households, not being able to see each other, not being able to touch each other and hug each other, it just leaves a lasting impact. And it's something that is really related to levels of loneliness. So in Australia, before the lockdown, there was a really high rate of loneliness in the 18 to 89 year old population with uh, one in four people reporting problematic levels of loneliness. So this is loneliness that is impacting other aspects of their life and making their life more unfavorable. And this is already such a high rate and this was before the pandemic. So we can only imagine that during the pandemic, this has been exacerbated. So it is really apparent that these measures that have been introduced with the coronavirus that have all been there to protect our physical health in some ways are really taking a toll on our psychological health. And Jess, I've heard that you have some recent statistics to tell us a bit about the psychological impacts of COVID. Yeah, so a recent survey was conducted by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which analysed how um, the most recent Victorian outbreak that ended, so not the current one, uh, the one earlier this year, since they never really seem to end, but the one earlier this year and how this has impacted um, the households of Victoria. And it showed that almost a third of, um, of people in the state reported feelings associated with depression and anxiety compared with 18% in the rest of Australia. So that's almost double the amount of people who have reported these feelings. Um, so again, just showing, you know, the impacts of one lockdown or a snap lockdown and how that can immediately have rampant effects across the state. And consequently, the federal government had announced that a mental health package would be um, provided, particularly aimed at the Greater Sydney lockdown, which I thought was um, really good to mention. Um, and this latest survey also tracked how the COVID-19 pandemic was affecting Australians in June before the Sydney lockdown. 
and it finds that about 28% of adults reported feeling nervous in the previous four weeks, and this is the highest level in six months. So I think it just shows that there's always this sort of anticipating nervousness that never really goes away. And that's something that, you know, we should definitely try to address as it looks like the pandemic, you know, will always be there. So it's something that we need to address head on. Um, it also found that women and younger Australians were at increased risk of psychological distress in 2021. And I guess this is very multifactorial. It's hard to really pinpoint exactly why, but it's almost, um, I guess there are a few sort of logical reasons why, um, where you've got young Australians who particularly in the peak of their career, they have a higher level of job instability. Um, some Many people are still in university, they have no job stability at all. And then of course, women who um, have always, you know, time and time again, been at the hands of discrimination. Women's jobs are um, particularly subject to instability in the markets of, you know, hospitality, for example, retail, where women dominate. So there are many reasons why these, these groups of people could be uh, more affected. Um, so Erica, do you mind telling us a little bit about just some of the support services that are out there for us to access? Yeah, of course. So there are a number of support services that pre-existing before the pandemic. So I'm sure we've all heard about Lifeline and the awesome work that they do Australia-wide. So they don't just specifically cater for suicide prevention. They are also there for a number of other mental health concerns or just there to have a chat. And it doesn't have to be um, that you're at your lowest or at your worst. They've got fantastic services that are available for anything. Uh, there's also the Beyond Blue Coronavirus Mental Health Wellbeing Support Service, which deals with specific concerns for um, coronavirus and has a really good targeted approach. And then of course, uh, one thing that really affects people's mental health is their ability to access information. So there's also the translating and interpreting service, which is available nationally, nationally and is really important because um, the less like confusion surrounding this issue, the greater mental health well-being because people are able to really understand what's happening. Of course, there's also the Kids Helpline, which is specifically targeted towards kids because they are quite vulnerable um, from the psychological uh, effects of coronavirus. And there's also the Suicide Callback Service. And we will leave links to these uh, different hotlines and services to you down the bottom of our podcast. So Jess, what are some of the lifestyle changes that we can make to try and ease the pain of the pandemic? Yeah, just some sort of basics that some people sort of forget about, at least I have um, throughout the past year. So one of the major things is trying to look after your physical health. So currently, you know, in lockdown, both Eric and I are both in a lockdown right now. Um, so easy ways to sort of look after your physical health would be um, utilizing that one or two hours you have outside to make sure you can go for a walk and get a bit of exercise in, um, trying to make sure you're eating well and sleeping well during this time. Um, there are many ways to stay connected. I'm sure we all know all the online platforms that you can use, whether that's social media, phone calls, video chats, um, anything that sort of keeps you connected with your friends and family. And um, 
Developing new routines is another way. So just to make sure that your days are varied since they all seem to blend. And of course, reaching out to others and seeking support when you need. Um, I also thought it would be important to flag that there's a lot of anxiety around um, just the news and the general media surrounding the pandemic, um, which makes sense as there's a lot of fake news that sort of circulating and it's very sensationalized on the actual um, news when you read it. So um, I thought it'd be good to take a look at two credible sources. So these are the government provided uh, ways to stay informed. So that's the Australian government WhatsApp channel for COVID-19, as well as the Coronavirus Australia app. And these are two, um, you know, mm -hmm. government certified methods of obtaining information. So if you're a bit um, uncertain about the quality of information that's out there, um, these two will give you at least the most credible information. And um, yeah, so yeah, I think it's just really important to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, both physically and mentally in any way that we can during these times, um, just the little things that you can do to sort of make each day a little bit better. Yeah, of course. So just to summarize what we've talked about, so it's really important to look after mental health during these times. Uh, it's also important to take care of others because that can also provide you with a sense of satisfaction and that we're all in this together. Uh, it's really important that we don't stigmatize mental health and make it a priority rather than a second um, priority or like an afterthought. And it's also quite problematic for us as in medical professionals because we have an attitude of uh, just battling on and not really focusing on the mental health concerns that we face. So it's really important for us to be okay with reaching out when there's a crisis. And this creates a huge barrier to us being able to access services and also us encouraging others to um, access services. So that's something that Jess and I both think is really important. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us on this deep dive this week. We hope that we've found a few facts and figures that are useful and interesting to you. And uh, we look forward to catching you next time. Thanks. Our podcast is so excited to be sponsored by OskiBank. OskiBank is an amazing resource designed for medical students by Australian doctors. It provides over 180 stations for you to study efficiently for your OSCE preparations. What me and Erica love about OskiBank is that there's an option to both study solo as well as in an interactive live group. This allows you to study not only in your own time, but also with a group of friends, allowing you to more efficiently prepare for your OSCE exams. Both Eric and I have had um, an amazing time studying with OSCE Bank, and I know personally it's really helped me with my end of year exams. Thanks to OSCE Bank for sponsoring this video.